Well, good morning, friends, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are viewing from. Uh, I greet you in the name of Jesus and welcome you to another video service here at Mseni. We're getting used to doing it this way, I think, uh, and it really is second best. I know we can't wait to get back together in person, but for now, thank God that we've got this medium that we can still enjoy each other's company on a screen at the very least. And so welcome, and wherever it is that you're tuning in from, may be blessed as you spend this time in worship with us today. We're going to read from Scripture before we go any further. And so let's look at these words from Psalm 89, where the psalmist writes this. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. So come, let's pray. Yes, O God, we come today to spend some time in worship. We come because you are a great God of great love and great faithfulness. We come, Lord, because you're our joy day after day. You're our joy and our glory and our strength. We come because you deserve our love and our praise. And we long to give it to you alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they might be. Even though we're not together physically, Lord, your love binds us together as one. And so we pray that in this time you would pour out your spirit into each home right now. We pray, Lord, that you would set our hearts aflame with a great passion for you once more. We pray, Lord, that we will leave this video a little closer to you, a little more aware of your grace and your love, and a whole lot more committed to the mission that you've given us. And so come we pray and take control. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs. And so let me get to the piano and let's sing. Worship His holy name. 
sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is for all your goodness I will keep on singing Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find oh, Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before oh my soul I'll worship your holy name and on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come well, still my soul will sing your praise Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I'll worship Your. Worship your holy name. I'll worship your holy name. When the music all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus.
king of endless worth No one could express How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you it's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus Let us pray Yes, Lord, we sing those songs and those words and we mean them today It's all about you we're coming back, Lord, to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Oh, Lord, who else? Who else deserves our praise? There is only you. Who else could have made this beautiful world? Who else could have breathed life into this world? Oh, God, who else could have done the things that you have done? Who else could sustain us and get us through these difficult times? Who else has given us a love like the love you've shown us? It's only you, Lord. And so we come and we sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'll worship his holy name. We sing it, Lord, and we sing it with all our heart because your name is the name above all names and the name that means everything to us. And so, Lord, we come at a time like this and we come just as we are. We come knowing that we are sinful. We come knowing, Lord, that even at our best, we fall short of the life you've called us to live. Oh, Lord, we confess that the things we've thought of, the things we've done, the things we have left undone and unsaid, make us feel guilty for not being the people we should be. And so we confess and we come, Lord, asking you once more to have mercy on us. Lord, we come anyway, even with all these sins, because we trust. We trust that you and your great love will forgive us just as you always have. We trust that the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins, cleanses us and makes us new, even today. Thank you, Lord, for those words that we long to hear. My son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. 
Thank you, Lord, that even now those words can wash over our souls. Give us a new start in you. And that is why we come, Lord, and that is why we sing. It's all about you. Because it's only you that can give us this great love that we need. It's only you that can give us this assurance that we are loved and we are cared for and we are precious. And so hear our songs. Hear our songs as we lift them up to you, Lord. Because we mean them from the bottom of our hearts. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Well, friends, we believe the children are not the church of the future, but the church of today. And so they're always part of our fellowship. And so let's enjoy a time of small talk now for the children. Good morning, boys and girls, and welcome to Small Talk. Lovely to meet with all of you again. I hope you're keeping safe. I bet the majority of you wish that you could go back to school again. And believe it or not, I think the teachers are missing you guys just as much. Just like us here at Mseni, we can't wait to see all the smiling faces at Sunday school every Sunday again. Now boys and girls, today is May the 24th. It is a special day, a day we celebrate and the day that we call Aldersgate Day. In 1738, nearly 300 years ago, John Wesley, the father of Methodism, attended a meeting in Aldersgate Street. During this meeting, he records in his diary, he had a life-changing experience, and this is where the Methodist Church started. I did a little research on John Wesley and found him to be an exceptional man. He spent his whole life trying to be a true Christian. But one fact that really stood out for me is that he was very well traveled. He traveled, boys and girls, over 400,000 kilometers on horseback. That's like going around the world 10 times. Why, you may ask? He answered the people who asked this question, because he wanted to spread the word of God through personal relationships. In other words, face to face. Now I'm sure with lockdown and the school's been closed for more than eight weeks, I think you can relate and appreciate what John Wesley was saying. The schools are closed down and many of you are getting online teaching. But I think you'll agree with me that it's just not the same as being in a classroom with all your friends and a teacher standing in front of you physically teaching you. That got me thinking, how are people going to think or going to know that you and I are Christians? I want to show you our name tag we use when we go to conferences. Now boys and girls, those of you that aren't seeing this or only on audio, my name tag says, hello, my name is Mark. Now people use these name tags so that we know who we are talking to. It reminds me of a story about animals in a zoo 
that decided to rename things. It was actually Giraffe's idea. She said it will be easier for the people if they could read what type of animal they were looking at. So she had a name tag which read, Hello, I am a giraffe. Lion had a name tag which read, Hello, I am a lion. An elephant had a name tag which read, Hello, I am an elephant. And so all the animals had name tags. Now during the night, Monkey, who is a really good joker, and loved to trick the animals. Waited, till, waited until they were all asleep. He then went around and changed all the name tags. So the next morning when the zoo opened, the name tag on giraffe said, Hello, I am a lion. The name tag on the lion said, Hello, I'm a crocodile. And on the elephant it said, Hello, I'm a penguin. And so all the name tags were moved around. The people that attended the zoo laughed and laughed at the animals. Obviously, the animals weren't very happy. And they found out about what Monkey had done. So they approached him. Fortunately, Monkey thought very quickly and said, But guys, why do we need name tags? Surely the people, when they see what, what animal we are, will know what animal we are. The animals all agreed and therefore removed all their name tags. Now, boys and girls, this got me thinking. What if we all wore name tags which said, Hello, I'm a Christian. That will let everybody know that we love the Lord. But I think Monkey was right. We don't need tags. People can tell that we are Christians by just watching us, looking at the way we behave. In the Bible it states that you'll be known by your fruit. You have been taught about the fruits of the Spirit in Sunday school and in church. So I'd like to encourage you that wherever you go, remember to be kind, remember to be faithful, to be gentle, to be joyful, to be patient, and to be loving. Boys and girls, until we meet again, God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Mark. That was fantastic, as always. I'm going to hand over to Ralph as he takes us through what's happening in the life of our community this week. Good morning, MCNE family. I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is wonderful to be with you here as we celebrate and as we worship together. What we always do at MCNE is that we celebrate birthdays and we have Beatrice Orenser, whose birthday is today, as well as Cheryl Berger is today and Edna Jones is on the 29th of May. May you all have a blessed, blessed day. Even if it's in lockdown, know that we are with you and our thoughts go out to you. We're going to celebrate by singing happy birthday to you and I pray that you all Join in as we celebrate Beatrice and Cheryl and Edna's birthday. Happy birthday to you, to Jesus be true. May God's richest blessings be always with you. Then uh, I'd just like to say thank you for all your pledges, for all your tithes and offerings that you have given 
know that that money has been used to glorify God and as part of our worship and we ask that you continue to do so uh, as you are led by the Holy Spirit. We also want to thank you for all your food and clothes donations that you've been giving. Know that these parcels uh, that we make up are going to good use. They're going to families who are desperately in need. They are going to orphanages. They are also going into our community. And we are helping Northfield Methodist Church as well as Benoni Central Methodist Church to help their congregation and their community. So thank you very much. For all all those donations, um, I, I, I do not have words to to show my gratitude, but just know that uh, it is wonderful to be able to to share with people that are in need. If you have something to donate, please come every Friday between ten and one outside the gates of Mseni. We will be there to collect your donations. Then we are very excited. Uh, we are going to be launching our own recipe cookbook uh, at the end of the year, but we need your help. We need your take on your favorite food. So please, if you have a recipe that has been shared from, from generation to generation and you'd like to give it to us to publish in our own very own cookbook, we ask you to, to send that recipe to Celeste. Uh, Luke's going to put something on the screen screen and we'll also put it on our whatsapp so we are looking so forward to launching this cookbook in 2020 yes the year of COVID-19 we Methodists love to eat so please if you have a recipe send it on we need your help it is your recipes that we want to publish Uh, you can send as many recipes as you want uh, be it for main course, be it for puddings, be it for starters, be it microwave, be it special foods, be it from a man or a woman, from young or old, please send your recipe so that we can launch this cookbook at the end of the year as part of our fundraising um, to use the money uh, for the church. We would also just like to say, if you know of anybody that needs prayer, Please could you forward their names to myself or Luke so that we can put uh, their names on our prayer list because we know that there's a lot of folks that are in desperate need of prayer and that is our way of interceding for other peoples. May you all have a blessed, blessed Sunday and may God just look after you uh, in this time of lockdown. We can't wait to meet with you again. Take care. God bless. Bye. My friends, here's a song that was written by John Fundalaw, who many of you know. And it's usually a song we'd sing for communion, about the table that we're about to eat at. But really, look at these words. This is about being thankful for all the things that God has given you. So let's sing it. The table you've set before me is filled with good things you have called me to feast in your presence the cup that you have given me is filled with sweet wine you have called me to feast in your presence Never let my hunger
die Never let my thirst be filled Never let me feel that I don't need you Always keep me by your side Mindful of your sacrifice Always be my passion, my Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. The table you've set before me is filled with good things. You've called me to feast in your presence The cup that you have given me is filled with sweet wine You have called me to feast in your presence Never let my hunger die thirst be filled never let me feel that I don't need you always keep me by your side mindful of your sacrifice always be my passion my Lord Jesus Lord Jesus Let's share a prayer once more. Father, we come with gratitude today to thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the many good things that you have set before us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of a new day. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of a place to stay, of food to eat, clothes to wear. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of technology enabling us to stay in community even though we can't in person. Thank you, O God, for the gift of your presence, always with us, never leaving us, not for a single second. Thank you, Lord, that as we look around us right now, we know we are blessed, and you've cared for us deeply. For these gifts, Lord, and for many more, we give you all our thanks and praise with grateful hearts today. And Lord, we come to you with many requests. Right now, Lord, we are asking you to heal those who are sick and to protect those who are not. Lord, we ask you to feed those who are hungry, provide for those who are struggling in this time. Oh Lord, would you help us to reach out and be your hands and feet to those who are in need in this time. Lord, we pray that you would calm our fears. We pray for those who are struggling, who are anxious, who are weary, who are afraid, that you would fill us with your hope, with your joy, with your peace as we continue to trust in your love. Lord, we lift up our presidents and our leaders to you and all the presidents throughout the world who are making tough calls at this time. We pray that you would give them extra wisdom, 
and extra guidance as they seek to get us through this time, Lord. We pray that you would help them as they navigate these strange days and that they would do everything in their power to see us through this pandemic. Lord, we pray for those who are on the front lines, those who are working hard to bring a vaccine and to help those who are sick. We pray that you would give supernatural strength to our doctors and our nurses and our paramedics and to all those, Lord, who are fighting right in the trenches. Give them strength and thank you for them, Lord. Thank you so much for their courage. May they continue to find new strength in you. Lord, we pray for our church, not only in Sene, but the church at large, all around the country and all around the world. Will you unite us and strengthen us in this time? And we pray, show us, show us how we can partner together as your people to shine in this time. Use this pandemic, Lord, please. Use this pandemic to pave the way for a new, a new life, to pave the way for spiritual renewal. We want your glory and your power and your healing to be on display, that all the world may know that you are God, even in the difficulties. And so these are our prayers, Lord, and we lift them up to you now and ask that you would hear them as we offer them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, our reading today comes from Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 to 12. Paul writes this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Well, once there was a man named Saul, a very religious man, deeply religious in fact, and he hated Jesus with all his might, did Saul. He believed that the followers of Jesus were trying to bring down his faith, which he really believed so strongly. He believed that they'd made up the story about Jesus coming back from the dead. And so he decided to go after these Christians, and he spent his whole life trying to bring them down. He would round the Christians up and arrest them and even watch with a smile as they died unfair deaths. And then one day, as Saul was walking down the road to Damascus, Jesus met him. This very Jesus who he believed hadn't risen from the dead revealed himself to Saul in a blaze of white light, knocked him off his feet and called him by name and said, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul was changed in an instant. The rest of his life was totally different because of this moment with Jesus. Soon after, in fact, to the amazement of all the Christians and non-Christians alike, he was preaching that Jesus was alive and that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, centuries later, another deeply religious man was also struggling along in his faith. He was an Anglican priest. His name was John Wesley, and he was trying with all his might to be a perfect Christian and to earn God's acceptance, and he kept failing. Time and time again, Wesley would get depressed at his own shortcomings. At one point, he even went from England to America to try and convert a bunch of people there, thinking, maybe if I do that, God will accept me because of what I've done. But it was a failure. The whole trip was a failure. He came back 
severely depressed and even questioning his own salvation. But everything would change for him as well. On 24th of May, 1738, 282 years ago to the day, he got up and he went to a church meeting at a place called Aldersgate. Uh, And as he sat in this meeting, somebody was talking about Jesus. And Wesley famously said he felt his heart strangely warmed. And in a wonderful moment, he knew in his heart that God loved him. Even in spite of his perceived shortcomings, Wesley went on to do amazing things in England yeah, he started the Methodist movement, and on this day we remember that Aldersgate experience which changed his life. Saul, uh, otherwise known as Paul, same guy, on the road to Damascus. Wesley at Aldersgate, two men whose passion for God was reunited in a moment, or resurrected rather, in a moment. Today, we're finishing a series called Resurrected, and we've been talking about how God brings, brings dead things to life, not only in the afterlife, not only bringing human beings back to life in another world, but right here on earth, God is a God who, when things die in our lives, he can bring them back to life. We've spoken about how when our peace dies, or our faith dies, or our love dies, or our relationships die, God is the one who can restore these things, bring them back to life. And so today, we're looking at how God resurrects passion in our lives. Passion is a strange word, isn't it? Try to explain to a non-English person what passion means. Try to explain to them the difference between a passion play, a night of passion, a passionate speech, and a passion fruit. Okay, you'll see that passion is not an easy word to define. Uh, Perhaps the more biblical word we could use is the word zeal. Zeal. The Google definition of zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. I believe today that God longs for you and I to be passionate or zealous Followers of Jesus, loving and pursuing him with great energy and enthusiasm in this life. In fact, Paul, in our reading earlier, said this, Never be lacking in zeal or in passion, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Now, I have a sense that this is a bit of a struggle for many of us. I feel like we know that we should be passionate But somehow we struggle with it. We don't want to be absolute religious nutcases that lose all connection with reality as some have become. But we don't want to be spiritually dead. But we we struggle to find that line. We struggle to, to find the balance. And so we kind of carry on in our faith day after day. Some days are passionate. Some moments are passionate. But many of the days are just mundane. How do we become people who are never lacking, as Paul said, in zeal or in passion? Let's spend some time today looking at these two men that we just heard about, Paul and John Wesley. Both of them found new passion for God after their big moments with them. They both went on to live lives of extraordinary zeal and passion for God. And I truly believe, friends, that this is not something reserved for the spiritual superheroes. We hear about, you know, Paul and, and John Wesley, we think, yeah, but they're, they're superheroes, you know, of the faith. But I truly believe that for you and I, 
average, everyday people, God also believes, or God also wants us to live lives of great passion and zeal for him. And we can. First, we need to realize that we're loved. Paul's Damascus experience and Wesley's Aldergate experience changed their lives because now they knew that they were loved. That made all the difference. You see, both men's lives up until that point had been lived with a wrong passion. They both tried ferociously to earn God's love. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a strict observer of the law. In fact, he even said this about himself to the Philippians. He said, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous, there's that word, that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was deeply passionate. And he was hoping that that passion would get him accepted by God. And that's a very different thing to being passionate because you know that God loves you. On that day when, when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul discovered the amazing, amazing truth of the gospel that God loved him anyway. Even if his good deeds weren't as good as they could be, God simply loved him. Even though he'd sinned, even though he'd fallen short in different ways, he realized that Jesus knew him by name and that he was loved. This changed everything for him. He would go on to write this to the Galatians. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what changed Paul's life forever. And Wesley too had something similar happen to him. He was trying like crazy to be a Christian that God could be proud of. That's what he'd been taught. He'd been taught the more moral you are, the more God loves you. And so he tried to be the most moral person out there. And when he failed now and then, he was so depressed because of it. He came home from that failed mission trip so dejected, thinking God couldn't love him because of his failures. And then that day, in that meeting, he felt it in his heart. His heart was strangely warmed on this day all those years ago. And he realized the same thing that Paul realized, that God simply loved him. That changed everything. You see, friends, passion for God without assurance that you're loved inevitably leads you down the wrong spiritual paths. When you're passionate about God trying to earn his love, not from a place of love, it'll probably lead you to a life of self-hatred, a life of self-pity. It'll probably lead you to a life of harshness towards others, always looking down on others. It'll lead you to a life of always thinking that you're better because you're trying so hard. But oh, when you discover that this God loves you and gave his life for you, when you discover that he knows your name, he knows how many hairs are on your head, or used to be maybe, he knows you not just in a, pers in a generic way rather, he knows you in a personal way. He knows you 
and cherishes you for who you are. When you realize, friends, that he's your father and he offers you forgiveness and he will never leave you, not for a second, but he'll always hold you in his hands. And when you believe with all your heart that this God looks at you and smiles, saying, that's my daughter, that's my son, with a smile on his face, oh, friends, your heart will surely be strangely warmed like Wesley's was. It changes everything, knowing that you're loved. Maybe you need some resurrected passion in your life today. Well, start, first of all, by knowing that whether you've been good or bad, this God not only knows you, but he cherishes you with a deep, deep, wonderful, true love. Once that knowledge hits home, oh friends, you can't help but sell out for him in a passionate way. But now I hear some of you saying, I know this already, you know, I've had my oldest gate moment, I've had my warmed heart, I've had my road to Damascus, and yet, you know, over time, the passion has just disappeared. Spiritual passion has a way of dying a slow and horrible death in our lives if we aren't careful. I'm sure you've experienced this. Maybe some of you have had a great spiritual moment. You've done Emmaus or Chrysalis or Alpha or been on a spiritual retreat of sorts and you come off that, that experience flying. You come off that experience thinking that you're going to change the world with your faith. You've, you've absolutely sold out to Jesus and you've said every second of my life from now is going to be for him. And then life goes back to normal. You know, you get back into the mundane, everyday life routine. And after a while, you, you discover to your shock that your passion for Jesus has, has leaked out of you, drop by drop, until you can't even remember what you felt. You remember that you felt it, but you can't remember what it felt like on that spiritual high. Do you think the same happened to Paul? Do you think he would look back at Damascus and say, how I long to feel that again? Do you think Wesley looked back to Aldersgate and said, that was a moment I wish I could recapture? Looking at their lives, they both seemed to keep a very vital and passionate faith alive throughout their lives. I know they had ups and downs, of course, but their passion for God never seemed to run dry. How can we do the same? How can you and I also find our passion for God, even through the ups and downs, staying like it was on that warmed heart moment? Let's look at these two men a little closer and maybe we'll find some inspiration. Firstly, like Wesley, we need to reset our priorities in order to keep this passion. Your priorities determine your passion. Whatever you give most of your time and energy to, that becomes your passion. It's a simple principle, right? Whichever fire you give most fuel to will burn the brightest. And I believe, you know, you and I tend to make two types of mistakes with our priorities and, and these mistakes kill off our passion or zeal for God. The first one is that we overwork ourselves. Probably the leading cause of passionlessness is being overworked. How often do our conversations start to take the turn of how hectic things are? How are you? Busy, busy, busy. 
You know, life is crazy. We cram our schedules so full of activity that our passion for God ends up getting squeezed out. It doesn't become a priority anymore. Even in lockdown, I've spoken to so many people who've said, gee, I'm just working so hard. In fact, so many people who are working from home have been working even harder because there's no separation between home and work anymore. And so they end up working long hours without even realizing it. I found myself doing it again and again. I read a story about a man named John Henry uh, who decided to have a race against a steam drill. A steam drill tunneling through a mountain. He thought, man versus machine, I'm going to race this thing. And so they set the steam drill through the mountain and he took off next to the mountain. He beat the drill to the other side and he dropped dead. (laughs) Instantly of exhaustion. And in fact, doctors in that part of the world now talk about John Henry syndrome which is the tendency to push ourselves too hard and work ourselves to death. Let me say, Wesley didn't make this mistake. He didn't run himself into the ground after his Aldersgate experience. Listen to what he said. He said this, Although I am always in haste, I am never in a hurry, because I never undertake any more work than I can go through with perfect calmness of spirit. It's no wonder this man kept his spiritual passion alive all those years. He never ran himself off his feet. How are you doing as lockdown restrictions start to slowly lift? Are you looking forward to carrying on a lifestyle that just runs you into the ground? Or have you learned in this time of lockdown that rest and quiet and restoration is important for your soul? Are you able to say with Wesley that you're never in a hurry, even no matter how busy you are, you're never in a hurry because you don't take on more than you can do with a calm spirit? See, friends, our passion for God will always falter when we're drained, when we're dried up, when we're burnt out. Oh, don't let this passion killer get you, friends. Prioritize your time so that you can tend to your heart. Tend to your spirit so that you can, you can have your friendship with God and not squeeze it out because of your busyness. And a second way that we often get our priorities wrong is that we spend too much time on entertainment. We live in a world where it's easier than ever uh, to distract ourselves. You don't even have to leave the couch now to find the most world-class sport or movies or TV or books or videos. The potential for good with all these things is amazing, but the potential for bad is also endless. Often I believe our passion for God leaks or runs out because we've numbed ourselves in a world of entertainment. John Wesley's mother, Susanna, who we heard about in our devotions a few weeks back, she made a commitment to never spend more time in daily entertainment than in daily time alone with God. Wesley's life uh, shows a similar commitment. I wonder if we can say the same. You see, for many of us, we think entertainment is the only way to rest. We say, you want to rest? Sit in front of the TV the whole afternoon. Browse Facebook. That'll restore your soul. To some extent, it's helpful because it helps you to unwind and to escape this life for a while. But when your entertainment life, or when your entertainment time starts to outlast your time with God... 
I know it happens because I've been there. Your, your spiritual passion starts to dry up. It's a mistake that Wesley guarded against. He carefully guarded his time with God and made sure that nothing else numbed his sensibility to it or his sensitivity to it rather. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine eating chocolates and chips for two hours straight. Okay, no, no breaks. You just completely gorge out on chocolates and chips. All right, and then you finish and you decide to try eat something wholesome. Your body's going to reject it, right? <laughs> There's no space anymore because you've filled up on the wrong stuff. And I think, friends, we have a way of doing this to our spirits. We binge watch all sorts of weird shows or we sit and watch the news all day and get all worked up. And then we try to sit down with God and we find we can't even last a few minutes because our souls have been stuffed so full that the Bible now seems dry and empty and, and unpalatable. Our prayers seem to go nowhere. Could it be that we've, we've so stuffed our souls full of other stuff that we've numbed ourselves to the sweetness and the nourishment that God's presence offers? This is a common passion killer, friends. This is a common way that we lose our passion for God. Don't let it get you. Don't let it get you. Don't, don't let your priorities be out of balance because that always takes you away from God. Whichever fire you fuel most will burn brightest. Fuel the right fires. Now thirdly today, friends, I want to suggest that to keep our passion for God alive, we must remain with God through our pain. Oh boy, if being drained and burnt out and overfed numbs us to God, how much more does our pain and our difficult times empty our passion for him? And you know, Paul himself went through many seasons of pain and struggle. Maybe you can relate to these words that he said to the Corinthians. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. That sound familiar? Crushed, overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. It puts an end to that little theory that says God never gives you more than you can handle. Paul said he was expecting to die. He was so overwhelmed. And Gordon MacDonald, uh, who's a great author, says this about these verses. He says, All too often we have been provided with models of the great saints that suggest that they never grew tired or disheartened. But he said, Here is one of the many occasions where Paul was consummately weary. Weary enough to want to run from everything, even into the arms of death. And then he says, we do ourselves a serious disservice if we do not face up to Paul's feelings of devastation. Paul too, that spiritual giant that we consider him, was devastated, was overwhelmed, struggled through difficult seasons. How did he get through it? How did he retain his spiritual uh, passion and zeal in this time? Well, I read this story uh, about a man during the Great Depression who lost his job, went through all of his savings, had to give up his home, and through it all, his wife died somewhere in the middle. Oh, man, 
the only thing he had left was his faith, and it was starting to weaken, as you can imagine. And so one day he started to walk around and look for jobs in the town. And as he was walking around one day, he stopped and he, he saw some men building a new church in town. One of the men was busy chiseling a piece of rock into a triangle. And the man said to him, what are you going to do with the triangle? The builder turned and pointed to the top of the building and said, you see that little opening up there? That's where this goes. He says, I'm shaping it down here so that it will fit in up there. How did Paul get through his devastation, his pain? He believed with all his heart that the pain he was going through was shaping him into the person he was supposed to be. Oh, friends, I know how many of you watching this are devastated right now. I know how many of you are disheartened. I know how many of you are facing great disappointment. I know how many of you are feeling terribly lonely in this lockdown. How many of you have lost income, have lost jobs, have had salaries cut? I know how many of you are sick or have sick loved ones. I know some of you have dealt with death of loved ones during this time and not being able to, to mourn with your family because you have to be separated. I think of all the struggles that you're all going through right now. And I know that these things have a way of draining your spiritual passion. I know that you're sitting going, I just can't, I just can't build up that enthusiasm for God anymore. But oh, friends, will you hold on to your faith during this time with Paul? Will you believe today that the master is shaping you through these difficulties? Will you hold on to your spiritual passion for God? Because even though you're crushed and overwhelmed, you know that God is shaping you into the person that he needs you to be. In fact, the word passion actually means to suffer. It comes from a Latin word which means to suffer. This is why we talk about Jesus' death as the passion of Christ. Friends, Paul learned how to remain with God in his passion, in his pain, rather. He learned that his, his pain and his disheartened state and his devastation didn't have to destroy his spiritual passion, but that if he saw it for what it was, it could fuel his zeal and his passion for God. So friends, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I pray that you know that God is using this to turn you into the person that you need to be. God is using this to, to strengthen you and to give you more hope and more strength for the days to come. God is using this not to try and turn you away from him, but to try and get you even closer to him so you can become the person you should be. And so remain with God in your struggle, friends, and find your passion for him not emptying, but getting even stronger. Now lastly today, let me briefly suggest that the reason Paul and Wesley kept their passion for God uh, was because they began to live for others rather than for themselves. Spend too much time on yourself, you'll find the world is very small and depressing. But live your life for the benefit of others, and you'll always have something to live for. See, friends, if we have a deep passion for God like these people did, we, we don't have to become ministers or missionaries per se. In fact, Paul was a tent maker. That's what he did to put food on the table. 
Wesley had a wide range of interests. But see, their everyday interests and passions and jobs took on a whole new light as they used them not for selfish reasons, but to bless others. Their lives changed when, because of what Jesus had done for them, they used everything that they had to show others Jesus. In fact, here at Imseni, we call this property a place of grace. We often say to our visitors in our church services, we hope that you will experience something of God's grace as you fellowship with us. Now, friends, shouldn't we all be saying that in our homes? Shouldn't we all be saying that in our workplaces and in our hobbies and in all the things that we love doing? Shouldn't we be saying, may you experience something of God's grace through you know, whatever it is that we do to whoever is in our lives? Maybe you love sport or reading or creative art or psychology or dancing or woodwork. Maybe you're a brilliant financial advisor or businessman or engineer. Maybe you're a great organizer and leader or teacher of people. Maybe you have a job and you do it well. Why did God wire you that way? So that through those abilities, people might see Jesus. You want to keep your passion for God alive, friends, start seeing everything that you do as an opportunity to share God's grace. Start seeing all the things that you do in your life as a way for people to come into contact with God. Refocus your purpose and interests, not simply for your own gain or for your own pleasure, but so that whoever comes into contact with you will see him, will experience something of his grace. I believe strongly that that is what kept the passion of Paul and Wesley alive. They saw their lives as not something just to live for their own pleasure, but they saw everything in their life as an opportunity to bless somebody else with God's grace. And so I don't know where you're at. Maybe your passion has run out. Maybe you're just feeling spiritually flat at the moment. Maybe your zeal has disappeared a long time ago and you've just been going through the motions. Well, friends, God is the God of resurrection. I believe that he can bring your passion back to life today like he did for Paul, like he did for Wesley. And so realize that you are loved, would you? Know that he loves you. Reset your priorities, friends. Don't burn out. Don't spend too much time on the wrong things. Remain with him in your pain because through the pain he's shaping you into who you should be and then refocus your purpose so that others may find God in what you do. And may your passion for God come back to life in his presence today. I take a breath and I'm alive It feels like for the first time I have seen you through these eyes Everything I used to be That lived inside of me Is gone For the last time I remember Everything I've done But you've forgiven Each and every one 
Now I'm coming back to life I'm living inside All of my fears are far behind And I'm coming back to life I found what I need And it's you I know it's you Brings me back to life I searched the world just for a sign Hoping I could find Someone who could change your heart like mine I read the stories of your life The miracles inside You turn my water into wine So much easier Knowing you are here And all the doubts and wants Seem to disappear Now I'm coming back to life I'm living inside All of my fears are far behind And I'm coming back to life I found what I need And it's you I know it's you Yeah, yeah My feet are dancing My heart is crying out For you So take my Yes, Lord, we're coming back to life in your power today. It's you. It's you that brings us back to life, Lord. It's you and only you that can give us a warmed heart or a Damascus Road moment and fill us with a new passion and zeal for you. And so I pray, O oh God, that each one watching or listening now will know in their hearts that they are loved and that you see them and you smile. I pray, Lord, that you would grant each one of us the courage to follow you and live for you and that our priorities would reflect that. I pray, Lord, protect us from burnout. Inspire us to look to you above all in our lives. I pray, Lord, help us through our pain. Help us through these difficult times and may we hold on to you and be strengthened knowing that you're gonna use these difficult times to shape us. And Lord, give us a new purpose, a new passion to do everything in this life to show others you.
And so we pray your blessing on each one of us now. And as we leave this service, may your power and your peace sustain us through a new week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so friends, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore.